how's it going tonight, everybody? Welcome to Run the Real, featuring Mike, Terry, Fox, and Dan. And we are the greatest show on the Woo. internet. Yes. Woo. <laughs> That's us, all right. I love this show. What a bold claim. But we are continuing on with our musicals category. And our final film in this category is The Greatest Showman. What better way to cap things off than with the greatest show ever to be made? I'm just going to say, before we started recording here, we had like a Hugh Jackman power hour. We just (laughs) (laughs) were talking him up. It's like, he was in this movie. Oh, that was good. He was awesome. Oh, he was in this movie. Oh, he was good. That was awesome. (laughs) Pretty much. Did you know he was Wolverine? Gasp. His least known role. So we watched The Greatest Showman. It is directed by Michael Gracie. This is his directorial debut. Hugh Jackman sought him out to make the movie with him. This is true. Before this, um, Hugh Jackman made, I think it was a commercial with Michael Gracie. It was like, dude, I want to work with you again. And Michael Gracie was like, nah, that he's just saying that. But then Hugh Jackman came back with the script for The Greatest Showman. It was like, dude, direct this, and I want to be in it. That's kind of how this started going about. He'd been working on this since 2009, according to the IMDb trivia. This has been this is like his passion project, kind of like King Kong was for Peter Jackson. This movie had gone through a lot of stuff to get to the point to get it released, because I was just reading on Wikipedia about it, and yeah, it had a long journey to get to where it is now released. Yeah, Hugh Jackman never strikes me as like a musical guy, but he's been in several now, so I guess I shouldn't be too surprised. Oh man, he's quite the Broadway actor. Yeah, I was going to say that. He's in a lot of Broadway plays. Yeah, when he was younger, he was like a stage play actor, and that's what he enjoys and wanted to get into more, but everybody knows him for Wolverine. Mm-hmm. That's all I think of when I yes, hear his name. After he stopped being Wolverine, he wanted to do more stage plays, more of uh, theatrical productions, those kind of things. Because that's really, yeah, his passion is those kind of productions. Yeah, he probably made so much money with those Wolverine movies, he can just do whatever he wants now. Oh my god, if, man, if you're curious, he's playing Harold Hill on next season's run of The Music Man. I don't even know what that is. I've heard of neither of these things, yeah. Meredith Wilson's The Music Man? (laughs) Well, that's the musical we should have watched. (laughs) How could you? This is why Fox is our resident specialist. Oh, I think you'd be familiar if you knew some of the the references and songs from it. Well, let me get through some logistics stuff really quick here, because it is important for this movie. On IMDb, this has a 7.6 out of 10 but it has a 48 Metascore. Then on Rotten Tomatoes, it has a 56% tomato meter, which says Rotten, and an 86% audience score. So critics do not like this movie, but audiences do. Man, I remember like two years ago when this came out, I was hearing about this constantly. The buzz about this movie. Everybody was loving it that I talked to that went and saw it. It's my understanding that my family still watches it on a monthly, if not weekly basis. Really? Wow. Yep. Yep, they love it a lot. So I want to talk about the box office of this movie too, really quick. This movie has made a worldwide total of $435 million with the budget of $84 million, which that puts it at the third highest grossing musical ever in North America and also the third highest globally um, in the world for a musical. So when this movie came up, 
or came out, it was going against Jumanji, Welcome to the Jungle, and Star Wars The Last Jedi. But I think this is very interesting because they projected it was going to make $21 million over its first six days. But on its first day, it made $2.5 million, $2.1 million on its second day. So over a three-day weekend, it grossed $9 million total. This movie made all that money by word of mouth. People went and saw this and were like, hey, go watch this movie. And so it got up to this 430, whatever it was, million, 435 million, all by word of mouth. I maybe saw one preview for this movie. I remember seeing the preview for it in the, in the theater, and that was the only time I saw it. And I was like, I want to see that. That looks good. Then I didn't see it for another two years. <laughs> <laughs> and thus it went on to the back burner. <laughs> <laughs> With the other thousand some movies that are on there. Get in line, Dan says. <laughs> yeah. Man, I avoided it for two years. <laughs> but then we ended up here. <laughs> let's, let's explore that, shall we? Fox, why did you avoid this movie? <laughs> it sounds like you have a personal vendetta against somebody featured in this film <laughs> I, I enjoy history and i think it's important that we learn from history going forward you know lest history repeat itself and i uh, I, I there were things in this movie that i felt were just a little bit misleading <laughs> hmm maybe but we can we can we can delve into that more we should but Sorry, Mike, I didn't mean to interrupt you. <laughs> no, no, you're fine. The only thing I was trying to say was this movie got super popular based on its songs and word of mouth. They still play some of the songs on the radio. Yeah, This Is Me actually won some awards. We probably hear that one a couple times a month. It didn't win the Oscar for best song. It did not win the Oscar, no. But it did win the Golden Globe Award for Best Original Song. Do we know what song beat it? I'm going to guess a Pixar movie song. So the song that beat it out, Dan, was Remember Me from Coco. Which, has anybody seen Coco besides me here? No. Negative, Ghost Rider. I haven't. I've heard it's good. Well, it follows the uh, format that Pixar is that we will emotionally destroy you while watching this movie. Seems about right. And I think this song is attached to that. So Gotcha. That's hard competition, honestly. So this movie got very popular based on its songs and word of mouth, which I think is pretty interesting. I think I heard more people talking about this at my work than like Avengers or Star Wars or any of the super popular pop culture stuff of today even. We'll probably get into this, but this is a pretty fun movie for general audiences to go to and see and it's got fun songs and i think that's why it got so popular well it's it's interesting right because the music in this film is contemporary pop which doesn't really fit with the time period but it works for the movie and it's interesting because there's another uh movie the great gatsby that came out not too long ago that kind of did the same thing it got a lot of criticism for doing that, whereas this one, it gets like no criticism at all, really. Not that I saw or heard. I would venture to say that this movie was almost entirely built and greenlit off the success of The Gatsby in terms of the soundtrack and the aesthetic. It does have that similar like showy 
set piece feel that the great Gatsby did. The emphasis on the slow-mo and the shiny colors seems suspiciously similar. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's fairy tale like right? That's what they're going for with this movie, and it's kind of what they go for with certain parts of the Great Gatsby movie with Leonardo DiCaprio in it. Yeah, something I saw in the IMDb trivia about the songs feel more contemporary was they were trying to convey how forward-thinking P.T. Barnum was. Hmm. Whether you believe that or not, because this doesn't really showcase... The correct story of P.T. Barnum, which I think is one of Fox's criticism. As is the case with everything Hollywood does. I think if this film did do that, it would be nowhere near as popular as it is now. Well, yeah, because nobody wants to touch that subject matter, especially in today's climate. I don't know. I think I'd find it a lot more interesting, honestly, if they actually had the... uh his performers, maybe make them the central characters instead of P.T. Barnum. I think I'd have liked that a lot better. I just have to wonder why. Why take him and just make a completely fictionalized version of the person? I mean, musicals, historically, you know, they don't need an actual figure who was real to be successful. Why not just make a fictional circus master who was super progressive in, like, the 1860s? Yeah. I don't know why they wouldn't just go that route. It would probably have not changed anything. I mean, I don't really know who P.T. Barnum was until this movie came out. Well, it's always that element of people being interested in the man behind the name, right? So he's probably going for that aspect. And I have a suspicion Hugh Jackman probably thinks pretty highly of P.T. Barnum and what he was able to create with the circus and showman or showmanism or whatever, however you want to say that, too. And since it is... From the perspective of P.T. Barnum, it does make sense that it would be a greatly romanticized greatest hits type of thing, too. Yeah, but if, maybe they could like had us peek behind the curtain or something, you know, because... I mean, it's just nothing in this movie is accurate to real life at all besides the names. You're both not wrong, but that's not what they were trying to do either with this one. They're trying to take something that happened in the past and like change it into a safe for everybody, heartwarming, get a good message out of arguably bad events that happened in the past. For me, it always comes back to the why, I guess. I think it could have been just as successful without the P.T. Barnum angle. Right. If they would have just looked up the guy and been like, oh, maybe he wasn't so great. Let's just make our own circus master. I have, I have two things. This movie did come out at a very interesting time. It came out seven months after the Ringling Brothers and Barnum Bailey Circus seized operations. So the circus shut down seven months before this movie came out. And also, if you made this a darker version, it would completely negate all the songs in this movie because the songs are very, hey, this is me. This is who I am. The world may not accept me for who I am, but I don't care. Well, you could still have the same message from the perspective of the performers, but it's all from the perspective of Barnum, which I think it would be a lot more powerful if it came from, you know, the performers instead of him anyways. It does, though. I mean, look at the song that got nominated for best song is This Is Me, and that's all about the 
circus performers being like, hey, this is who I am and I'm not ashamed of it anymore and nobody else should be giving me crap for it. But think about it, like, what are any of these characters' personalities? We don't get to know any of these characters besides P.T. Barnum. Like Zendaya is supposedly a main character, but we don't know anything about her besides she's arm candy for the rich partner. That's also one of my criticisms of this movie, but I get why they did it. Because this movie is for all audiences. This is for kids, adults, whoever wants to go see it. If it was a more dark version, a more accurate version of P.T. Barnum, this would be a movie strictly for adults. Right. But I, I guess what TV and I are saying is that why, why does it, it doesn't have to be darker. We could just change the name and have the same movie. It would still be fictional either way with different names. Yeah, but then you'd get the people being like, it's a copy of P.T. Barnum and doing it this way. So it, it ultimately would be, it'd just be the, it'd be the same like criticism. I mean, I would assume those same people would recognize how preposterous this retelling is. I think the main reason why they didn't do something like that is you would lose your leading star, which is Hugh Jackman. Why can't he just play with someone with a different name, though? Like, literally all I'm saying is we could change the names and nothing about this movie would have to change. Because he wanted to tell P.T. Barnum's story, his greatest hits, and leave out all the negative aspects. It's like not even the greatest hits, though. I don't know. It's kind of like Braveheart the movie, you know? It's a fictional film, but we pretend like it's real for some reason, but there's no rhyme or reason to why we have to pretend it's real. So my counter to that, Fox, is that this movie is meant to be a musical and not a biography. Right. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. But if this was a dark musical, you'd get something like Moulin Rouge. And I hate Moulin Rouge. I never want to watch that movie again in my life. But you get what I'm saying, right? We don't have to make it dark. We could completely remove... We don't need the bioptic. We could literally just change the names, make no alterations to the film besides changing the names. And nothing about it would have to change. But it loses all the weight of it being the name everybody knows and using those terms like the show must go on or the greatest showman that everybody knows are associated with P.T. Barnum. And that's a lot of weight that it loses if it does that. I don't know know how many people knew P.T. Barnum before this movie. I didn't. I didn't either. And I'm fine with what we got here because I like Hugh Jackman and his portrayal of P.T. Barnum. Like, I can agree that you go look up the real story of P.T. Barnum and it's completely different than this, but this is a fictionalized musical of P.T. Barnum, and I can accept it for what it is in the form I was given, and you compare this to what we did last week, Repo, Genetic Opera, that movie was trash, whereas this actually provides me with some enjoyment, and I don't hate myself after watching the movie. Because I feel like I wasted my life. This just made me feel gross, I guess, more than anything. And that may just come down to a a personal preference there. Because I can forgive, you know, the actual history and accept this for what it is as a fictional musical piece of entertainment. Well, think of it this way, too, Fox. People who don't know anything might watch this movie and love it and be like, ooh, I want to learn more about this P.T. Barnum guy. He seems cool. And then they read up on him and they find out what he did and they're like, oh, that wasn't cool. Then they think back to the movie and they're like, you know, he should have been more like that guy. 
in the film was and then they get like a whole it comes full circle at that point and they're like they get the message of the film even more so at that point i think that's an interesting angle in that i think this movie in itself is somewhat a tribute to pt barnum because i don't think people will investigate you know people didn't investigate back then at his uh museum of curiosities you know they they went there to be fooled, to see something that wasn't real. And I think people will maintain doing that. You know, they, they love the, uh, I mean, what he says, people love to be fooled, I guess. That's a quote in the movie from him. And I think that's what this maintains in itself, is exactly what he wanted in life. And maybe that's a good thing, because you think of a kid watching this movie who's maybe struggling with being bullied at school, and they hear the song, This Is Me, and maybe they get something like, Hey, I'm myself. I don't care what the world thinks about me. Where if they go look up the actual story, they're going to be like, okay, he just used these people to make money. I understand why they took this direction with the movie, and it's fine with me. I can forgive it for that. Well, people always romanticize history, and they pick the parts that they want to remember and showcase because it's easier that way anyways. But, I mean, it's... It's still there. Like, the history's still there. You can go look it up. And, I mean, the movie even showcases it a little bit, not a lot, but it showcases it enough to make you go, hmm, okay, this guy wasn't the best. Yeah, I think it, personally for me, I would have liked it if they took it farther because the big uh, plot point in this movie for Barnum's character is when he almost cheats on his wife with the European singer. I forget uh, her name. And he kind of loses himself in his vision. And for me, it would have been a more interesting plot if he maybe would have explored that aspect more. I do understand why they didn't do that in this movie. But for me personally, yeah, it would have been a lot more interesting if that was explored more. Yeah, I agree. Because I was like, oh, they're actually going to do something like a little more out of the box with this. Because, well, yeah, you, I could kind of sense, you know, he's always on the, the on the side of the stage clapping for her and stuff like that. You know, I was like, oh, is he going to like cheat on his wife or something? But no, they like pull away very quickly from that. And then it's back to your kind of typical musical, just happy-go-lucky kind of thing. Yeah, and it all goes back to the message that this movie portrays overall. So I understand why they did it. I don't think it's great for me plot-wise. It makes the movie less interesting overall, but I do understand why they did it. I think they didn't pursue it because it didn't happen and they made it up. Well, I didn't stop them from anything else in this movie, so I don't know if that's... Like, literally, she didn't like his crazy showmanish and was like, hey, in my contract it says I can leave, so I think I should because my act isn't like that. Baloney, man. She left because Barnum wouldn't get with her. In real life, not in the movie. Okay, okay. We need to separate here. It just comes down to what they chose to do with the film, right? And we don't, well, not all of us here like, I guess, exactly what they did with the film. But, I mean, what they did do turned out good, I think, for the most part. Yeah, the characters aren't, like, besides Barnum, aren't super interesting. Um, because they're just there the further Barnum story, essentially. Ironically, too, uh, <laughs> you could say, uh, with some cynicism. But yeah, if they would have explored more of that, I think we would have had a lot more interesting characters throughout the whole movie. 
besides just Barnum. This is true, yeah. I think if they explored that aspect of the movie, it would have added an extra layer to the story that's just not there. Because there's not very deep layers on this story and get this message across and everything supports that message. They're just using Barnum in the circus as the avenue to tell the story they want to, which is nothing new in Hollywood. Some of the uh, best movies are those too. They do the same thing. So This very much feels like a Disney movie to me because of how they present their message. Even though it's not. It's a better live-action Disney movie than most of Disney's live-action movies. Well, <laughs> no, it is a Disney movie now, you know. <laughs> is this from Fox? Yeah. It's TSG, which is a subsidiary of Fox. Nice. It all comes full circle once more. But it very much feels like a Disney movie to me where it's it's not very layered. It gets its message across. It's sent out to all audiences. And it's very broad, one message, singular movie. And if you look at it in a contained movie uh, stance, it's not bad. I think it's just bland for me. Like, that's the problem. Yeah, I think in terms of a movie on its own, the plot is like almost non-existent besides Barnum, Barnum bouncing around the world from music video to music video. It's got more plot than that. It's showing, well, it's got that great opening where it, shows him thinking about being a showman and then it goes through his life when he was a tailor and all that getting kicked and slapped and beat up and everything and then how he goes from that to become the greatest showman and create the circus so i didn't really like that montage right off the bat that felt weird to me i thought it was cool because you got I'll just say this, the set pieces and some of the shots in this film are awesome. I wasn't like super pumped to watch this, but right after that opening where Hugh Jackman's doing his poses to the beat of the music at the start, and then it does that opening set piece, and then it ends with him and his wife dancing on the roof with the big old moon in the back. I was hooked right after that. I was like, okay, I'm I'm invested now. This is pretty cool. That entrance to this movie is great, I think, where he's like in behind the bleachers or whatever and the light's shining through and it's just the shadow. That was really cool. I just don't think any other set piece, like that's the peak of the movie for me. Everything else didn't quite live up to that, I don't feel like. I don't know. It get, it gets you hooked in, right? And they convey so much information in such a small amount of time and in a cool way, I thought. But I I disagree that that's the, the best set piece in this. There's a lot of other ones that aren't like as grand but are still really cool. Like when um, Barnum's trying to recruit the other guy who's <laughs> not Bailey. That musical number and set piece of those two, Zac Efron and Hugh Jackman going back and forth in the bar as he's trying to recruit him was really good too, I thought. Oh yeah. That was good. It just didn't have like the mood or the style I didn't feel like. I think the choreography is really impressive, especially in that scene. The dancing was really good. Yeah, that they all do their own dances and stunts. That's awesome. I want to jump in here and say I think that it's very impressive from a directorial standpoint. I think Michael Gracie you know, directed the hell out of this movie from every scene that there's dancing, where the camera's at, what's in the background, how he 
gets the actors to interact together in the show pieces. It's amazing. It looks super cool. Everything looks great when it's a big show piece and everybody's dancing together. Yeah. From a guy who was doing commercials before he made this movie. It's super impressive what he was able to pull off with this. It, you wouldn't think that it's a directorial debut. You'd think it's somebody who's been making these his entire life or her entire life. This is super cool what he was able to do. Yeah, the show pieces are amazing. They're so much better than anything else we've watched in our musical category. It's insane. Definitely is our AAA title, to be sure. This is what I was talking about when we did Little Shop of Horrors, and I was talking about, you're making a movie, so you need to go more grand with it, right, than what the play is. And this is exactly what I had in mind. They take full advantage of the genre of this film, and it's awesome seeing it, I think. It's crazy that this even got made and that it turned out as good as it did, I think. Yeah, I think if you look at something like High School Musical, Hairspray, Mamma Mia, and you compare it to this, Greatest Showman blows all those out of the water from a directorial standpoint, from a showpiece standpoint. Mm, I don't know if I'd say blows out of the water. I think aesthetically it's good, but he's supported by an incredible cast and crew. He has like one of the biggest cinematographers ever like as a cinematographer. I'm not saying it's all Michael Gracie. But I'm saying, as a whole, what we get here from all these other musicals that I've seen, I've seen quite a few musicals, it definitely is one of the highest ones, I think, of quality for that. For the showpiece aspect and the visual aspect, the choreography, everything works well together, I think, in this movie. I do like the choreography a lot. It looks great, and it's like, it's a fitting into what Mike said with... This came out was the year that they shut down the circus. So it's, it's a fitting end and tribute to that where it's like going back to all the greatest moments and recapturing what it felt like to go to the circus for the for first time for most people. I won't say everybody because there's a lot of people who don't like the circus at all, but <laughs> it, it it's really it's cool. It's what I expected from a big budget movie musical it's taken full advantage of the medium uh to create something really nice yeah i just think the this biggest weakness is the plot at least with the last two that we did there was something interesting like a bigger hook for me like to be like kind of curious about it maybe less so with repo like the the idea was cool but i was gonna <laughs> say <laughs> but i was still i think an interesting movie even if it failed pretty hard but I don't know. This one is just so fluffy, it feels like, and just kind of bland. There's not much depth or substance to the plot. There's nothing to it. Yeah, I I kind of agree with Fox, where it just feels like we're just moving on to the next big set piece, and this plot's very you know predictable and just goes where you expect, and we're just waiting for the next big thing to pop up. Well, I, I don't know. I thought it was interesting seeing Barnum progress from having nothing to getting everything he wants essentially, and seeing how he changes his attitude and what it causes him to do and all that stuff. Granted, it's a lot of it's made up for just the movie, but I, I thought that was interesting, just seeing how he's going to come up with doing something next or what he's going to figure out and then how it changes his attitude and how he treats other people. Though I will say the end where Zac Efron's like, 
Oh, I've got money. Don't you worry, son. Was pretty lame. I was like, okay, that one's a little too convenient, but I guess I'll let it pass. The beginning wasn't super convenient. Well, it's funny and it sets a precedent of, all right, this guy is good at conning people, right? Like you said, fooling everybody around him. So it, it sets that up pretty good, I think. Yeah, and it just goes back to how I'm saying this feels like a Disney movie. Like this was never meant to be Citizen Kane level of plot. No, of course not. If you look at it for the medium it is and for what it's telling, I think it's a pretty good movie. This is the second time I've seen this, and I liked it more this time, I think, than the first time. First time I was thinking more like you were TV, more kind of like, hey, this plot, there's nothing to it. It's just fluff. But the second time I saw it, I was able to forgive all that and just appreciate it for what it is. Yeah, and I mean, I'm not a big musical guy in general anyways, so maybe the reason those other two kind of stood out to me, the ones we've done before, were because they were kind of off the wall a little bit, a little different, a little different take on the medium, whereas this one is very much, feels like to me, kind of a, this is your typical story in a musical kind of thing. Well, going back through our past reviews on this what's the thing we've been harping on the most in these musicals is the main characters they've not been like super great this entire series so i'd argue that barnum and this is more interesting than any of the main characters in the other two we watched i guess he's very cookie cutter character i would say he might be cookie cutter, but he's still more interesting than the super nice guy who's a complete idiot or the um, blonde chick who is has low self-esteem. I'd say they're about equal. I don't know. This guy has no flaws. He's perfect. He has a flaw. He has a huge... What's his flaw? The Well, the whole last half of the movie was his flaw. He wanted too much and he let that get ahead of his family and his friends and everyone who helped him get to where he was. He hungered for power and to be recognized by um, all those who he deemed were above him. So at the same time, at the same time, he's suffering from the exact same thing that all the circus performers were suffering from, right? Dan, you have described that so much more beautifully than this film did. <laughs> I can't even begin to tell you. Yeah, you are giving that film a lot of credit <laughs> that's such a subtle undertone to this movie it's a, it's all in the subtext i mean it's there yeah a pretty minor small subtext it's not minor <laughs> that was the whole last half of the movie <laughs> oh jeez. his kids love the crap out of him and it's obvious only his wife is a little iffy on it and she spends about three minutes angry at him they're just kids they're not gonna know any better and the wife has a whole song about it yeah and then he comes back and never all is forgiven like immediately yeah it's immediately okay. Everything is immediately okay for this character. He has to go to do his wife's house and apologize for it. Yeah, so there's there's 20 seconds of screen time. There we go. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, that it's going back to what Mike said. It's just a part of the movie and hey, at least they showed it whereas in the other ones, he would have just shown up and then his wife and kids would have been like, you're back and then they would have just forgotten 
about that whole thing. In what other one? The other two movies we watched for this. I don't know about that. It's a Disney-style telling of this that has that light message on there. I would have thought, yeah, it's more interesting if they would have explored that some more. I think it's kind of lame that, yeah, he shows up and his wife forgives him in a minute, you know, if even that. Because that doesn't happen in real life. This dude had his picture of him kissing the the European pop star all over the newspaper. So everybody saw it. Which, to be fair, that picture is very, like, gracious. It looks very obvious that P.T. Barnum's not as into it as the the singer is. That's a very nice, flattering picture of if if there was going to be a picture. And I got the hint from the movie that the wife, like, believed Barnum the whole time when he was like, that was not me 100%. And so that was, for me, I bought it more because I was like, you know, they're a strong family unit and she's not going to let like, I mean, yeah, it's going to bother her, but she's going to believe her husband over the newspapers and stuff at the end. So that that's why it didn't bother me as much. At least they addressed it, though, is what I'm getting at, because they didn't have to. And in keeping with the other two movies we watched, they might not have even touched it. What? Man, Seymour spends the whole movie trying to get with Audrey. He lives a crappy, lame life. I don't know about Repo, though. I mean... Yeah, Repo's all over the place. That's not a good example to compare to anything, really. The, the plant one might have, but I mean... That main character wasn't nearly as interesting as this one is. Well, and at least, like, that one had something I could latch onto a little easier than this one. Like, well, if you don't like P.T. Barnum in this very much, then there's nothing else to, like, fixate on. I guess you could fixate on his partner and Zendaya's character, but... But you wouldn't really have any reason to. What, what What's their character personality? I mean... They just immediately, they're in love... They kind of have a little struggle there. That's more the fairy tale aspect of it. Granted, that's not necessarily interesting, and I do agree that that is a weak subplot in this film. It's much weaker than the main plot of the film by a long shot, but yeah, if you... If you're not in it for the character of P.T. Barnum, yeah, you're. there's not much in here besides, well, well, even if you aren't, you still got all the music and the big show pieces. I mean... So the music, we, we probably should talk about the music itself before we run out of time. Because I'll just throw out, to me, this just sounds like a bunch of choir covers of an Ellie Golding album. Who's that? Yeah, I don't know who that is. You ever heard the song Burn? We're gonna burn, 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 burn. No. No? Okay, well, some choir Frozen covers. How about that? <laughs> okay, I could get, yeah. I'd agree. They all kind of sound the same. The first song was the standout, I felt like. The bar song is a lot different. The first bar song is a lot different than all the other ones. Yeah, that's probably my second favorite. And then the the ones Zendaya and Zach Efron sing to each other is a lot more like self-contained and thoughtful and reflective than the rest of them are, too. So I'm just going to bring up that our music tastes, for most of us, are pretty focused. Like, some of us enjoy some stuff out of the box, but for our focus here on the show, most of our music tastes are kind of focused on more like metal, experimental, that kind of stuff. This movie made $435 million based on its songs, essentially. So for popular culture, 
these songs were huge. And I'm not going to lie. They were huge. They were huge in TikTok. And I don't even know much about TikTok. But I know what TikTok is because people were were doing these songs on TikTok. Like, I know what TikTok is. It came out of Vine. These songs were huge in popular culture. And this movie made all its money based on its songs, pretty much. Sure. I mean... I'm not going to, I'm not speaking for myself, of course. I'm not speaking for like the world, but I don't know. Like, I, like I said, I liked the first song, The Greatest Showman. I thought that was a good song. It might not be what I'd go out of my way to listen to, but I like that. The songs from like Little Shop, I don't, wouldn't probably go out of my way to listen to nowadays, but I still enjoyed it. I liked one song from the last one, and that's still not necessarily something I'd go out of my way to listen to. I think I can recognize a good song. Like, well, like, I don't know. It just, for me, I guess it's all obviously subjective because it's music and movies and all that but i don't know i think the music is definitely super easily digestible and sounds like everything i hear on the radio going to work every morning well that's pop music in general for today's audience anyways for pop that's what made it huge was it was easily digestible by everybody and that's the point i'm trying to get across this movie is it's easily digestible by everybody who watches it. It doesn't challenge anybody in any way. It doesn't do anything major plot-wise to make you think. It's just easily digestible by everybody. That's why I say it's like Disney. I guess, and that's probably why it loses me a little bit too, though. It's just that it's so digestible and generic and cookie-cutter, in my opinion, of course. It doesn't make it bad, though. You can judge songs and movies on composition. That's something you can judge it on. The rest may be subjective, but you can tell the difference between a well-made movie and a crap movie or a well-made song and a bad song. And all the songs in here, they might be inoffensive or they might be today's pop scene, but they're they're all good, and they have good composition behind them, which is more than I can say for a lot of pop songs that come out today. I would say they have safe, not good composition. I would say they know a safe chord progression and a safe rhythm to stick to. Yeah, but it's still it's going to be good compared to something that is not aesthetically pleasing to listen to. Well, let, so I'm I'm Mike's... Mike's definition, right? He was going back to, we have a set taste of music. I pretty much only listen to power metal or thrash metal, right? That's all I listen to. But I loved all the music in this, and I hate pop music for the most part. But I thought it was pretty good, and I've had it stuck in my head all day today when I was at work. Right. I mean, and I listened to a lot of stuff, and I was the opposite. I thought it was all kind of bland, <laughs> so I don't know. Yeah, I couldn't like pick out like a singular song in this movie, I don't think. All I can think of is that first song. Whenever I think of this movie, I just think of the cool, like, the bum, 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 you know, like the rhythmic kind of cool, and that the, maybe the visuals helped me with that. But I want to bring something else, too, is that the message that these songs convey most of them, if you look at them as a whole and compare them to pop music today, if you go listen to pop music today, I probably none of you guys have listened to anything recent. Nope. <laughs> I mean, I listen to the radio on the daily going to work. I'll throw that out. This is as recent as it gets for me. A lot of it is, you know, 
hey, I went out and partied. I got super trashed. I did this very risky sexual thing. Whoa, well, hang on a minute. The vast majority of pop music since like 2013 has been like the themes in this song, in this movie. No, not since 2013. Think about the songs that came out when we were in high school. Remember Fun? <laughs> With some nights and we are young? Look at Nicki Minaj. Iggy Azalea. I can see you're not familiar with the Pink album, but the Pink album is all about empowering women. Like, what's the, like, um, Katy Perry's got that one. I'm sure she's got other songs, but Roar, Firework. Yeah. No, no. The music is not, this is very much what music has been about in the pop scene for a long time. Some of it. I'm not, we can't generalize the whole genre, obviously. It's just saying, like, death metal's all about, well, okay, hold on. <laughs> <laughs> well, like I said, you can't generalize, because a lot of people think, oh, death metal, they're just singing about nasty, gross stuff, which, you know, some of it is, but also other stuff singing about, like, poetry and, like, the stars and cosmic stuff. You can't generalize all pop, you know, it's there's obviously going to be some different uh, lyrical themes throughout the genre. Yeah, so I don't mean to generalize on a whole, but yeah, pop music has been this way for a while. I, I disagree with you, Fox. I've listened to some pop music since then, what gets big. I mean, look at the song Senorita that is come out. This year or last year. What is that? Oh my god, it plays like eight times a day on our freaking station. I'm so sick of it. But you look at the messages of these songs, these are like, go out there, be who you are, own it. It's it's just the the message that comes across from this movie and the songs, it all comes across as cookie cutter for this. That's why I'm saying it's Disney. But it's not bad. That's That's the thing. It may be cookie cutter, but it's not bad. It's not bad, I guess, but it's not good either, I don't think. I think it being in the form of a musical helps it more since it is so cookie cutter. It gives it that little bit of oomph that it needs to to land the punch, so to speak. I'd agree with that. If it wasn't, yeah, if it wasn't a musical, then yeah, we I probably wouldn't have thought as highly of it as I do. Seeing like the choreography with it and the visuals as well, I think that helps it a ton. Yeah, I agree. I don't think a musical's been made that will satisfy us, though, completely. <laughs> I bet the music man would. I haven't seen it, so... I think it's what you're looking for, minus all of the historical inaccuracies. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's also interesting to note that Michael Gracie was also producer on Rocket Man. Ah, I do want to see that. And he's going to be the director for the live-action version of Naruto. What? what? There's a hold on. Whoa, hold on. This is not good. Talk about course correcting here. <laughs> Why is he going to do that? Nobody has succeeded in a live action anime adaptation. If there's any way to surefire, like, make your career go downhill, is to do a live action remake of an anime movie. Dude, that's baloney. That's baloney, Terry, because you love that freaking guy who did the live action of, uh, Death Note. Oh, Adam Wingard? Oh, he's doing King Kong versus Godzilla. Oh, yeah. No, I'm not excited. <laughs> That's a bad thing. No, Dan, he has done a lot of good movies, too, so I, I think it's still going to be okay. He is a very mixed bag. <laughs> Dude, I, I do not like Adam Wingard, either. I love Adam Wingard. When I heard he was doing... Kong versus Godzilla. I was very worried. <laughs> I am very worried too. I don't think that man should even touch it. 
The guest is great. I do want to see the guest. I've heard that is good. The home invasion movie. What's it called? You're next. You're next. I loved your next. That was awesome. He's done two movies that I love. And then he did Death Note. This is a whole Zack Snyder thing. If he doesn't succeed with Kong versus Godzilla, we'll know where to find him <laughs> at the bottom <laughs> of the barrel. <laughs> so I just wanted to bring up other stuff that Michael Gracie is, has done or is going to do. I think it's interesting to see. And I'm interested to see what this live action Naruto is going to be. I'm not. I would say he's a better bet to do this than anybody else who's tried live action anime. I'm just going to say... He directed the hell out of this movie. Yes, he did. He was very good with the other singing and the choreography. The storytelling maybe was lacking. Again, I just, yeah, I don't know how much of it was him, but... Well, the storytelling wasn't on him at all. He's not in a credit as the story. But it's still like final say goes to the director. I think this comes down to all of our different opinions about directors and how much role they have in Hollywood. (laughs) You know, we know that I don't believe directors have a lot of role in Hollywood, whereas other folks on the show believe they have the vast majority of power and roles in films in Hollywood. Who knows? Yeah, I guess I don't know what he did and what he didn't. I'm just going to say that Hugh Jackman said this was the hardest role he's prepared for besides Logan in the movie Logan. Yeah, I believe it. Yeah, it seems pretty demanding physically. I mean, he's getting thrown in the air. He's jumping on bar stools and tables and trying not to slip. He's running around a lot. And then he has to look like he's singing the whole time so they can dub it over good. Oh, God. Don't get me started on the dubbing. Yeah, some of it looked a little off. Some of it is off. And sometimes the auto-tune is a little bad, too, but... That That's just nitpicks at this point, I think. I guess. I think we should do overall presentation. I'm curious to see what everybody else says. I think everybody's got their points out. This has been a good punching match, though. Who knew that this would be the one to do it? <laughs> I didn't expect this out of this one, you know? Man. This has been, a, this has been fun. <laughs> so we have a scale that we used to rate these movies. It's the greatest scale. Um, it goes from burn it, pass, watch it. Or buy it in that order. We all give a little spiel, a little speech. We kind of put on a show telling everybody what we think about it. And then we give it a rating and try to average it out at the end. So, voila. So, I guess I'll jump in here for overall presentation. I wouldn't consider myself a musical guy, but I have seen a decent amount of musicals in my life. And compared to stuff like High School Musical, Hairspray, Mamma Mia... This is actually pretty good uh, from a set piece standpoint, from a song standpoint. I remember the first time I saw this movie, I was kind of feeling like uh, Fox and Terry, like you guys were, where I was like, you know, there's nothing to this. But I kept thinking back to the other side, which is the song with Hugh Jackman and Zac Efron. And I really like that piece, that set piece, that song for some reason. And it was stuck in my head. I'm going to give this movie a watch it. I would never buy something like this, but I don't think it's that bad compared to what else was out there. I think it's actually pretty good. I think this movie exemplifies everything I find wrong with Hollywood. I think uh, P.T. Barnum himself coined what I find wrong with Hollywood, which is philanthropy for profit. Doing things that are good if it benefits you. So yeah, let's, let's make a movie about being inclusive and not offending anybody. 
and let's make it the safest film ever, and let's fictionalize a narrative about one of the people who might have been one of the worst characters in American history, and then, you know, promote it, build a society, build morals on lies. And I have to ask myself why. From a moral standpoint, I can't say I'm a big fan of this film. Yeah, we didn't talk about it there, but that auto-tune and, like, the set pieces. I mean, at what point does a musical stop being a musical and start being a montage of music videos is also what I think this movie makes me ask. So there was a lot there, though. You know, a lot of, <laughs> a lot of bummer there. I gotta burn this one. I just can't, like... It, it, it hurts me that it exists in society. Like, I don't know. I, I, I just wish we could be good people built off good stories that didn't have to make things up for the sake of, I don't even know. I have to ask why. I think one of the only uh, performers in his circus museum that got a backstory was his uh, small person who rides the horse, right? So in reality, that was a four-year-old child who we had drinking and smoking on stage for money. Because the movie would have you believe it was like a teenager. So, I, I think, yeah, I just, I don't, ugh. I think from a musical standpoint, it's safe and doesn't further the genre in any fashion. It's just a series of super digestible pop songs that are, in fact, on the radio today. And I, I don't know, it, it's moral decay, in my opinion. I gotta burn it. Dang. Follow that up. <laughs> <laughs> on a slightly less negative note, um, slightly, I didn't like this as much either, I don't think. I think it is very bland and cookie cutter. I think the set pieces are pretty good. The first one in particular, I think, is The Peak, which is kind of unfortunate because, in my opinion, none of them quite lived up to the first song that they did. But it was really like visually interesting in those set pieces. The choreography is amazing. Lip syncing maybe could use some work, but... I just, I found the story incredibly bland. Um, for a movie about, like, you know, be yourself, be inclusive, it never actually focuses on the side characters who I feel like, you know, they're using as a vessel to give these messages, but none of these characters have any story or substance to them. They're just there. Whereas P.T. Barnum gets the spotlight where I feel like maybe it should be the opposite. Huh. I think I'm going to give it a pass. I think it's just very generic. There's no substance to it. Uh, there's some visuals are pretty good, but I don't think it holds it up enough for me. So I'm more kin with Mike on this one than Fox and Terry are, though. Fox and Terry bring up some strong points to this film's detriment that I do agree with to some point about the characters being bland for the most part, save uh, P.T. Barnum, who I've found interesting even if he's not historically accurate. To counter kind of Fox's point, it might not be historically accurate. Well, we know it's not historically accurate because nobody's going to want to see a movie uh, that's historically accurate about this guy just because of all the bad things he did. But there's an opportunity to learn from all the bad things he did. And I think if people are that interested in P.T. Barnum from watching this movie, they're going to go out and find out information about him and it's going to bring it full circle because they're going to learn hey he wasn't that great a guy but this movie's kind of showing how it should have been right not what it was but how it should have been it comes full circle in that regard it doesn't bug me so much because hollywood's been doing it for so long and i mean it's to be expected at this point and this film is Really, it's just a fairy tale based off of 
something that happened in the past. And it's interesting because a lot of people might not know how the circus came about. Even if the narrative's twisted, it might inspire people to look it up. In regards to the acting and the music and everything, I mean, it's good all around. Hugh Jackman's a great showman. He plays the part really good. The All the other actors do good with what's given to them. The music's very good, too. I don't like pop music, but I liked everything in this movie, pretty much. And I've had it all stuck in my head since I watched it. It impressed me with the visual composition, the music composition, the acting. It just... It, it hooked me at the beginning and it kept me invested throughout the whole thing. And I really enjoyed it. This is what I wanted to see from a big Hollywood musical, right? That I didn't necessarily get out of um, Little Shop of Horrors. I actually, that was one of my criticisms for it was, hey, you didn't adapt it as well as you should have, in my opinion, of course. And then Repo was just... I mean, it doesn't even compare to this one, honestly, which is a shame. I really like this movie, and I am going to say this one is worth a purchase. So that's a buy it from Dan. Holy crap, it's the full house. So I'm going to say here... We got every single rating we have. That's impressive. We got. I don't even know where that goes. That's somewhere in between a, a watch it and a pass. <laughs> it's the royal flush of run the reel. The royal run. <laughs> Proceed at your own risk, I guess. <laughs> you might love it. You might kind of not like it. You might hate it. Or you might just be like, you know, it was pretty good. So, <laughs> All right. So what do, what do we have for next week? So I think for uh, the next week or two, we're going to be taking a brief break. While we're recording this, it's like around the holidays, so we're all going to be kind of off in our own directions. So we might not have a lot of time to record, but in a couple of weeks we'll be back, and I think we're going to do the new Star Wars movie, Episode Nine: The Rise of Skywalker. Oh, no. Ugh. I'm cautiously optimistic. I was until the advanced reviews came out. And now I'm ready to mash it. Not looking good, but we'll see. I feel like it's going to interfere with my New Year's resolution to be more positive. Well, <laughs> it's better to get it out of the way now. Yeah, do it early. We should get it before December ends. In the meantime, though, if any of you listeners have any requests or anything like that, if you want to tell us what you thought of... Um, um, greatest Showman. Yeah, if you want to tell us what you thought of The Greatest Showman... Then you can hit us up on Facebook or Twitter at Run the Real, or you can email us at runtherealpodcast at gmail.com. We definitely need to know what you think because we all thought slightly separate things ascending a scale. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, please. Please get in contact if you loved us. TV almost forgot the name of the movie. I don't know if that means anything. <laughs> <laughs> but, anyways, this is Run the Real signing off. Mm-hmm.